Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Hit it. There's a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man or woman. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It's the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. It is a dimension of imagination, and it is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Now, any Twilight Zone fans? Oh, a couple, yeah, I love the Twilight Zone. You know, Jordan, uh, Jordan uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he kind of revamped it. Um, what, 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 what does Twilight Zone have to do with fa- uh, fasting? Here's what it has to do. The Twilight Zone is a show about going beyond this earth, right? Things that we just, things, things that, that this earth is a shadow of what maybe is, is beyond, you know, beyond in our imagination, that fifth dimension, that which moves beyond science, considering a world of possibilities, potentials, but are they reality? Are they not reality? And that kind of is what Twilight Zone begs. And as we start with fasting, yes, fasting is not eating, okay? That's pretty simple. To fast is to not eat. And yet, over the next few weeks, what we're really going to be exploring is that fasting is a practice which invites us to experience something that we might not be able to experience without it. That fasting invites us into a spiritual experience, into a spiritual reality uh, that we might not be able to experience without abstaining from food. And so while you might be skeptical, you might be like, ah, you know, you're like maybe overpromising there, Nick. We'll see. Because over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the scriptures. We're going to see what the scriptures have to say about fasting and what does this mean for our spiritual lives that we might more engage, more walk into the life that God has for us and receive not just what's here on earth, but in the life to come. The one that we look forward to when the final day comes and we get to be face to face with our Heavenly Father. So I'll say enough about that. And let's start here. Let's start with a simple definition of fasting. Fasting is this. Fasting is a naturally physical response to a sacred longing. Okay, fasting is a naturally physical response to a sacred longing. Let's touch base about this real quick, okay? Naturally physical. There are times that we don't eat, okay? There, like, you know, some of you are eating right now. It's ironic that you're eating donuts right now as we're talking about fasting, but there's times that we don't eat, okay? And there's some times that we don't eat on purpose, all right? There's some times where it's not appropriate to eat, and it's, it's natural to not eat. But typically, those times of not eating are in response to something. So when you think of response, think of positioning. Like if you played volleyball, right? Uh, if you played volleyball, you're on your half of the net, the other team's got the ball, right? And you don't know where to stand exactly. You don't exactly know what to do until the ball is hit and it's coming towards you, right? As it's coming towards you, you then shift, you respond to the ball, you put yourself in position to either hit it back or Hit it to your teammate, correct? Fasting positions us. It positions us, okay, to receive the blessing of God. Again, we'll get more into that. And lastly, it has to do with spiritual longings. 
that, uh, that there are longings that we have in our heart and our soul. There are things that we want that cannot be provided for on this earth. There are things that we want that can only be provided for by God himself. And so in this way, fasting is this natural, this natural response to put us in position to receive from God what he has for us. And the last thing I just want to touch base about in regards to fasting, fasting always goes with prayer. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about fasting as a practice, as a discipline, as a thing that we, we routinely engage in in our life and what do those times look like, but it always goes with prayer. Prayer meaning communion, union, communication with God. And so it's not a practice in and of itself. It's not a way of just kind of self-help, self-betterment, you know, better spiritual enlightenment or something like that. It is meant to move us into that we might hear from God, we might draw near to God, that we might see God. So that's just, it's always, it's always matched in scripture with prayer. And we'll see that as we go along. All right, so our first situation, every single week I'm gonna give you a different situation. Our first situation is this. Uh, kids, I don't know what your childhood is like. Let me tell you about my childhood here for a minute. So when I woke up in the summer, I mean, it was completely normal that at like 9, 10 a.m., I left the house and I was like gone. Like, I didn't see mom and dad. Like, I was like gone running in the neighborhood, adventures of all sorts, getting in trouble with my, uh, with my friends, doing all sorts of things I shouldn't have been doing, okay? And at about 7 o'clock when it was time for dinner, I came rolling back in order to eat. You'd better believe, right, when mom called from the front porch, it's dinner time. Wherever you were in the neighborhood, you'd better hear her voice and better get back on time, correct? So this, my mom wasn't worried about anyone kidnapping me or abducting me or anything like that, right? I understand that we live in a different society, but that's what it was like. And so here's the deal. When I was out and about, I had no water bottle with me. My mom didn't send me with a water bottle or a packed lunch. It was fend for yourself type of territory, right? And I just didn't eat because I was so engrossed in playing. I had adventures. I had things I wanted to do, and I wanted to play like all day. I naturally didn't eat when I was engrossed in what I was doing as a kid. I didn't eat till I got home. I didn't think about eating or drinking until I got home at night, all right? It's natural to not eat. It's natural not to eat when we're focused on something. Sometimes you get really into a project, you get really into a project, you forget about eating. Sometimes you get really into a project and you're like, I don't want to stop to eat because I want to complete what I'm doing, right? And when we're bored and aimless, what do we want to do? We want to eat. It's natural to fill ourselves when we're unfocused, but when we want to focus, it's pretty natural to then choose to abstain from eating. We've got that clear, right? So what does this have to do with God and spirituality? I'm glad you asked. So we're going to be in a story in the Old Testament in Samuel. We're going to take a look at a time when God's people abstained from eating because they had a task at hand. All right, they had, a, they had something in which they needed to focus on. So we're going to read the story. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the story. I'm going to explain the story to you, what's going on, and then we're going to talk about what does this have to do with us today, okay? That's the journey. All right, jump in with me. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, all the house of Israel is God's people. So Samuel said to all of God's people, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the astras from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away all the Baals and the Asherahs and they served the Lord only. Let's pause right there before we keep on reading. What's going on? Israel was not walking faithfully with God. They were not serving the Lord only. Okay, now Israel, God's people, they were prone to worship like this. Yes, we follow God, we go to temple, we do, you know, we do our religious duties towards Yahweh, 
But there's also these other foreign gods that we also find kind of interesting. And they have different practices that we find attractive and appealing. And we just want to make sure that we won't leave any stone unturned, you know, uh, any possibility or potential, like, uh, not engaged. And so what they did is they also filled their lives with idol worship. They worshiped these Asherahs and these Baals. Now, here's the deal. These Baals and these Asherahs, this, this, this way of worship was completely diametrically opposed to the way of Yahweh, the way of the Lord. Uh, a biblical and theological scholar Joyce Baldwin says this. She says the Canaanite way, meaning the surrounding nation's way of life, was totally opposed to everything Israel should have stood for as a people of God. And therefore, repentance, if it was to be credible, had to entail renunciation of foreign worship. And so what's going on is that they are worshiping all these idols. Something happens, and it looks like probably potentially maybe this threat from a foreign nation attacking them, where they all of a sudden feel like their life is going to be in jeopardy, okay? And you know how it is. You persist in your sin, and everything's hunky-dory until all of a sudden, like, the shoe drops, and you're like, oh, crud, how do I get myself out of this? God, will you help me, you know? And so here's where Israel's at. God, will you help us? And so what Samuel says when he says, are you returning to the Lord? This word returning in Hebrew means to repent. If you're repenting and coming back to the Lord, put away foreign worship and serve him alone. You see, in the scriptures, you can't serve God and other idols, other foreign gods. You can only serve either God or these other foreign gods. And so Israel now has this task of returning, repenting, and heading again towards God and his ways and serving him alone. All right, the story doesn't stop there. Let's keep on reading. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. All right, let's pause again. Now, now what's going on? How is this uh, story unfolding? Samuel, who is both the prophet and the priest, okay, he brings the word of God to God's people, and he's also the priest. We'll see here in a, middle, a minute, he kind of serves as this mediator between God's people and God himself. He says, all right, all of Israel, you are all to gather, men, women, and children, okay? I know kids, some of you were like, you're like, mom and dad made me come here this morning. Well, it happened in the scriptures too. All right, kids were dragged to Mizpah, okay? Hey, and this is a far travel, right? These people came to this one place, this kind of, you could say, big hill, small mountain, and they all were gathered in this one place because they had something to do together as a community. There was a task at hand, okay? They were repenting together as a community, and there's several things that happen. Number one, they had this symbolic gesture of pouring water out. So when you pour water out, right, you spill it out, you can't gather it back up, you can't pick, you know, it's, if you pour it out of the pitcher and it's on the ground, you can't gather it back up. And what Israel was saying through this symbolic act was they were saying, God, our hearts are saying, we are so dependent on you, we are poured out before you. We can't gather ourselves back up. We are so in need of you. We are pouring ourselves out before you. And this image, this symbolism was to help them visually focus at what they were doing, this returning, this repenting, all right? God, we are wholly dependent on you to save us. Secondly, they fasted. So in the scriptures, when every time it talks about fasting, it is not fasting from Twitter. It's not fasting from social media or bad habits. It's from food. 
Men, women, children went without food, potentially water, for at least a day here so they might focus at the task at hand to repent. And thirdly, we see that they pray. They cried out, God, we have sinned against you. And then it says Samuel judged. This word judged means that Samuel was the mediator between kind of lifting up Israel's prayers to the Lord, all right, bringing their cry, their request for forgiveness to God, and then at the same time, God, or Samuel, God, sorry, through Samuel, delivered God's mercy his forgiveness, his grace to his people. So Samuel stood in between God and, God and his people and he mediated this message of, you are forgiven. Okay, let's keep on reading. Story gets better. And the people of Israel said, oh sorry, verse seven, and when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound And that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. So Israel is gathered together. They're all in one location. They did not come out to defend themselves. They didn't come out and they were not equipped for war. And Israel's enemies said this is the perfect time to annihilate them. The whole nation is in one place. They're in a vulnerable position. And the Philistines said, this is our moment. So the Philistines come out, okay? And Israel is helpless. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. There's no fort around, okay? There's no defense. And as the Philistines are coming and they are on the doorstep, all right? They are on the doorstep. God miraculously comes in and saves Israel, it is God's hand that delivered Israel. It is God who delivered, who threw their enemies into confusion and rescued them. That's what happened. Now, in the Old Testament, what you need to understand is that when you see Israel get saved physically like this, from imminent threat, from physical danger in this world, it is in some ways also pointing to the greater salvation that God delivers them spiritually and eternally. And so, When we see that Israel is delivered physically from this imminent doom, we should also understand that God also saves them spiritually from their own sins. Both of these things are occurring at the same time. God's salvation, just to be clear, is not based on fasting. It is not based on these sacrifices. God's salvation is based on his own goodness, his own mercy, his own character, his own love for his people. The symbolic act of pouring out the water, fasting, prayer, sacrifice is about spiritual focus. It's about Israel focusing at their task of returning to the Lord and serving him alone. So we've probably put those things in place. So what does it have to do with us? Because you might say, well, we don't worship Baal. We don't worship Asherah. I don't have any little, you know, if you go to India, you're like, you'll see people with like little, you know, icons. Around. We don't have any icons probably in our home around society. 
We don't worship idols. Well, I would propose to you the very thing that we worship is our own selves, our own physical bodies. We love our own body. We are our own idols, and we have made much of our own physical body, our own physical person. Uh, there's this uh, really poignant quote from Anthony Bourdain, the late Anthony Bourdain, who was a celebrity chef. He said this. He says, your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Now, you might disagree with that, right? You might say, like, we don't agree with Anthony. But absolutely, around our world, that's how we live. I am meant to be filled. My body is meant for me to experience all the pleasures that this world has to offer me. I need to find every single way to make myself feel happy, feel good, look good, get praise, get glory, fill it with food and sex and all kinds of other things. And Anthony Bourdain certainly lived this life. He lived that life. And as, as believers, all right, those of us who call ourselves you know, the family of God, children of God, we are just like Israel. Well, we are stuck between serving God faithfully and also at the same time serving the idols in our culture. And we kind of do both. We're like, hey, it's cool. Just come to church. Just make sure you kind of do your God thing. Check those boxes. But certainly make plenty of room to serve other idols. Serve yourself, please yourself in all sorts of ways. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad about it, right? And we give ourselves all kinds of permissions to serve the idols, serve our own selves in this day and age. Here's four different ways that we serve our bodies. We worship our own bodies. One, we can view our uh, body as a monster, right? My physical self has to be overcome. I've got to, you know, defeat my own demons. I've got to defeat my own longings. I've got to kind of, you know, I'm, I'm 40 now, so like I, f- I look it in the mirror, right? I've got to beat this thing. I've got to discipline this thing back into shape so I can look good like I used to, right? And so we kind of can see our bodies as, as uh, a monster that we have to overcome, right? Or we might have dic- addictions that we struggle with. We just need to overcome these addictions, and then we'll have the good life, right? We can also see it as a celebrity, and you don't have to be uh, Taylor Swift to get glory. There's lots of people my age who are in their 40s who post all kinds of pictures of themselves online because they're very proud of how they look. They maybe lost a bunch of weight. They now look better in the mirror, right? We post all of, here's where I'm traveling. Here's where I'm at. Look at my life. And then we feel it. Well, this picture only got like 50 likes. I was really hoping for 250. I should take it down. Oh, this one got like 400 likes. I should maybe like try to replicate that again, right? There's all these different ways that we try to glorify our own physical bodies, celebrate it, and make it a celebrity for others, okay? Yes, we're not Taylor Swift, but we certainly, certainly attempt to do this. We see it as a cornucopia. Cornucopia is meant to be filled, right? We fill our bodies with all kinds of natural earthly desires, and that's what our life is about. Let me entertain myself, let me feed myself, let me fill it with all the things that I want. And lastly, it's a wallflower. This is more Eastern thought, Um, so so maybe if we've experimented with the others, I've tried to fill myself, I've tried to discipline myself, I've tried to glorify myself. Well, maybe the whole goal is just to forget my body. If I just forget my body, and then I'll ascend beyond my body, okay? This is a little more Eastern thought, but we certainly adopt it in the way that we practice in our liberal life. Well, here's the deal. Scripture doesn't talk about our bodies in any of these ways. Scripture talks about our body as a temple. 
Unlike what Anthony Bourdain says, Scripture says our body is a temple. The Holy Spirit, for those of us who have invited Christ in our life, the Holy Spirit resides in us. And everything that we do in the body is spiritual. Everything I do is an act of worship. The way I live my life, the decisions I make, everything I do is worship. I sing with my vocal cords, correct? I serve God with my physical hands. I follow him with my decisions. So yes, our bodies are temples. And God intended for our bodies both to enjoy the blessings of God, but then also to serve him faithfully. Not to serve our body, but to use our body to worship him in the way that we live. All right, so what does this have to do with fasting? <laughs> Let me give you an image. Let's break it down here a little bit. Hopefully this is helpful. ABC. All right. In this scripture, in this text, we want to go from A to C. All right, there's these sacred, we'll call them sacred moments in our life. And in this instance in Samuel, Israel experienced conviction. They experienced guilt, shame, that they weren't living the life that they ought to be living. Maybe you've experienced this in your life, either intellectually or on a heart level. Maybe you've been grieved over your choices, sad or embarrassed. This isn't a bad thing. It's a sacred thing. Conviction is a sacred thing. And what it is, when we have these sacred moments, this conviction, we long for the result C, forgiveness. We long for wholeness. We long for the mercy of God. We, we long for restoration. We long to be cleaned up. And the deal is, is that fasting doesn't get us from A to C. Fasting doesn't get us from a point of conviction to receiving the gift of God of forgiveness. That is, as you can see on the bottom, that is God's faithfulness in Christ. It is Christ who delivers the forgiveness of God. Let me prove it to you, Hebrews 10. The author of Hebrews says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The sacrifices we read about in Samuel can't take away sins. But when Christ, who offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down, sat, physical body, right? He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool at his feet. And by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Okay, so those of us who long to be clean, who be, long to be forgiven, be made whole in God, Christ offers the one sacrifice. He is the bridge from my conviction, my shame, my guilt, to receiving his forgiveness, his love, his wholeness, his restoration. It is Christ and Christ alone. We sang it. We sang it before I even got up here. We sang it out loud. It is Christ and Christ alone. His blood gets us there. But Jesus also said this. Jesus also said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is Jesus who said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus, who said, I am the bridge from conviction to restoration, you still need to return. You still need to turn around from your idol worship to worship God. So fasting does this. Here's our big idea. Fasting turns our bodies to walk in the path of righteousness. Fasting turns our bodies to walk on the path of righteousness again. One theologian calls it body turning. Fasting is body turning. So Israel, steeped in idol worship, said we have got to get out of this 
They fast, they abstain from food. Why? To help them return, to focus at the task at hand, to follow God again. It doesn't give them forgiveness. It's their way of focusing at the task of returning to serving God. And fasting can serve the same purpose for us as well. When I find my, my life filled with idolatry, when I find myself caught in sin and snared by it, then fasting can be a means, it can be a help, it can be a practice that helps me then serve God again the way that I long to, the way I want to. Uh, I used to coach D-League soccer. Uh, my son Griffin right there. Uh, actually, it was uh, his year that he played. Um, and so what's so funny, right, there's so many things that's funny about coaching, especially little kids. When your kid is not good at the sport, as a parent, you feel super embarrassed. You're like, why is my kid not good at soccer? Like, what's wrong with them? Do you know what I mean? Like, why are they running around with two left feet? And what's really kind of neurotic for parents is when their kid doesn't want to play the sport. Johnny wanted to sign up, but he never wants to play. What's going on? And so every Saturday, I had a kid on my team that never wanted to play soccer. So he'd get dressed up. He'd show up for the games. He actually practiced. So we went to practice. But during game time, he did not want to play soccer at all. And his parents would be like, I don't know why he doesn't want to play. And they would talk to me about it after the games. And finally, I said to them, I said, stop feeding him snacks during the game. Like, what do you mean? I said, stop giving him food during the game. I, I can either run on the field after this ball and get knocked around and dirty and sweaty, or I can eat Twinkies on a soft blanket. Let me think about what I want to do. Right? What do we do when we experience conviction? What do we do when we feel bad or shameful? Food is a great comfort. Food can be a a way of distracting ourselves. Food can keep us from the task at hand of returning to God when God calls us to return to him, right? And so in the same way, God says abstain from food, not that it gets you forgiveness, but that you might focus at the task at hand. God says this through the prophet Joel, Joel chapter two. He said it isn't too late You can still return to me with all your heart. Start crying and mourning and go without eating. Don't rip your clothes to show sorrow, meaning don't make a big display of how bad you feel. Instead, turn back to me with broken hearts. I'm merciful, kind, and caring. I don't easily lose my temper, and I don't like to punish. I'm the Lord your God. Perhaps I'll change my mind and treat you with mercy. Then you'll be blessed with enough grain and wine for offering sacrifices to me. Sound the trumpet to Zion. Call the people together. Show your sorrow by going without food. How interesting. How interesting. Perhaps I'll show mercy. This doesn't mean that God's thinking whether or not he'll show mercy or not. What God is saying is don't worry about the result. Don't worry about the mercy and love that you desire. Don't worry about the blessing. I will bring it. I'm faithful to my word. God says it all over the scriptures. What is your task? Cry, mourn, go without food. Because it helps us focus on following him. Helps us focus from repenting, from our evil, wicked, selfish ways that we might serve him again. So what do we do? Well, the ancient church did a lot of different things. Before people were baptized, they fasted. And again, not that baptism was part of the show, or sorry, fasting was part of the show. It was that fasting prepared their heart to receive the sacrament of baptism. This outward sign of this inner salvation they received from God, this gift of grace from him. And maybe for us, maybe for us is when, when, if we experience conviction, we should go without eating. Not to show it, 
not to get something, but that we might focus, that we might not distract ourselves with food. I mean, there are times, I know I've been there, you get caught in sin. You live in sin because you can hide from it. I can keep this away. It's, it's my little secret. It's my thing. Nobody has to know about it. And then we get caught. Someone finds out. We get exposed. And what we want to quickly do is defend, diffuse, distract, when really maybe we need to press in to that conviction, this sacred moment, by repenting and maybe fasting, maybe abstaining from food, helps us to really grab a hold of the gravity of the way we're living, of the decisions that we're making, how it's keeping us from the blessing of God. And maybe that might benefit us to receive the blessing of God and walk in righteousness. And lastly, I'll say this. Fasting was in community. It wasn't just alone. It wasn't anyone's just like kind of little pet project. All of Israel came together and fasted. And there's times during the calendar year, and Lent is coming up just a month away, where you will be invited to fast as a community. And that's what we're leading up to. That's what we're preaching about over the next few weeks. What does fasting do? What is it meant for? And then the invitation is for us as a community to repent. So there's times where we uniquely are like, man, I, I feel that shame, that guilt, that pinch point of sin. And there's certain times where we just need to be reminded, and fasting can help remind us that we are sinful and in need of the grace of God. And so Lenten season is that season leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus where the church has historically fasted, not because, again, there's this deep conviction in a moment, but there's this general conviction of like, yes, like without Christ, I am dead in my sin. I am helpless. I am poured out like water. And it helps us be in that posture that we might then, again, receive the blessing and life of God. So I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up right now. And we're gonna close by uh, inviting you to, to worship and take communion. Um, Greg, <laughs> Greg is still in the outside in the lobby. Come on up, Greg. <laughs> um, communion is, uh, this is a really good opportunity to return to God. Ironic that it's a meal, that Jesus invited us to a meal we thought about receiving the forgiveness and mercy of God. And let us be mindful of that as we receive it this morning. Maybe there's something in your life where you feel convicted of. I've been hiding this. I've been pretending that this isn't wrong. I've been living this life. And maybe this morning is a time for you to repent, to return to the Lord. We'll take communion as a reminder that the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God is through his son Jesus Christ and that sacrifice on the cross. And for all the rest of us, who partake of communion, who call ourselves Christians, who say, I live every day by the blood of Jesus because he continually forgives me for my sins. Let us take it mindful of that. We don't walk in here morally superior than anybody else. We don't have our act together. We're not better because we've been doing these spiritual disciplines and practices. No, we too, every single day, are born on the wings of Jesus Christ through his blood, his sacrifice, his death and resurrection. And so let us too, Return to Jesus, return to the Lord as we take communion this morning. Let us pray. God, our society has been so good at splitting our body and our spirit. It's been so good to say we can do things in the spirit and it doesn't matter what we do in the body. But that is not true. In fact, your salvation came through a physical body, your son, Jesus Christ. God, we live out the salvation we say that we have received and we want to fully, in our physical body, 
receive your blessing, your mercy, your grace. And for those of us, God, who are returning to you, who are repenting from their sins, who want to serve you again, would you teach us how we can take on these spiritual practices to aid us to be faithful to a God who is always, always has been and always will be faithful to his people. Amen.